So we're going to talk about mountaintop experiences this morning. And so I have got a great story for us this morning. It comes from the 17th chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Hear these words. Six days later, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and his brother John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them and his face shone all around them like the sun and his clothes became dazzling white. Suddenly, there appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Then Peter said to him, to Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If you wish, I will make three dwellings here. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, suddenly a bright cloud overshadowed them, and from the cloud a voice said, this is my son, the beloved, and with him I am well pleased. Listen to him, exclamation point. When the disciples heard this, they fell to the ground and were overcome by fear. But Jesus came and touched them and said, get up, don't be afraid. And when they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus himself alone. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. So, um, you know, uh, several, when I was a kid uh, growing up, um, I started doing my little, actually my own little mountain climbing. I started, I actually went back to Kentucky. And, um, you know, my kinfolk are from the Berea area. And so every year when I would go up and visit my family on the, on the family farm up there, the Hendron uh, farm there, um, so we would go on a hike and it was part of the, uh, Berea college. They actually own a mountain there. And so I really remember uh, every year, um, I would go and hike this mountain. Matter of fact, I've got a picture. This is what it looks like at the top. And so it's, this is, uh, the area and down there in the valley is Berea. And there's a, I think we got one other picture there. So this is what it looks like on top of that particular, what they call it the pinnacle. And so one, um, when after Don and I um, started having children, I, I, we would take our kids to go back to Kentucky. And so part of my family tradition is that we would go and we would go take the kids on that exact same hike that I would took when I was a little boy. And, and so um, I, I remember about maybe 15, 20 years ago, I had all the kids with me and one day a little dog shows up at the base of the mountain. And uh, so I'm thinking, well, this is a stray dog. And the, but then you looked at his little collar and this is what it said. My name is Timmy. I live next door. Let's take a hike. <laughs> Isn't that great? And, and so the dog lived next door, and the dog loved to take hikes. And so he went all the way up to the top, and then he came all the way back down. He got him some water, and the next hike, whoever came through, he'd get back up, and he'd go back up to the top. And come. My kids just loved that. They just thought he was the coolest dog. So... And so we had that. Okay, so then um, as we, my kids got a little bit older, we kind of became a little bit more adventurous. And so then we, here's the next little hiking experience. So then um, we, I took my kids to the Holy Land different times. And so this is actually um, overlooking the Dead Sea. This is the area of the Qumran where they found the Dead Sea Scrolls. So we hiked all around there and actually took that picture. And then we hiked Mount Arbel, which is overlooking um, the Sea of Galilee. That's my Saint uh, Jordan. And so no, within a shout of doubt, Jesus had to gone up there uh, to go up there and pray. It's an unbelievable view from the top of that mountain. So Jesus, all, quite often, he would go off and pray because he wanted to be by himself and, and to be able to collect himself. 
And then so we did that. And then we, um, we, then we went out west. And so then we went to these, some of these other mountains. And so this is a mountain out near Park City. And this is called the Dirt Church. So if you want to get married really cheap, dirt cheap, this is, that, this is where you could go. So we climbed that mountain. And then we went, and the, can you show the next slide? So then we went, and we went a little bit bigger. And this is, um, this is uh, Angel's Landing in Zion National Park. And that's a really dicey hike. But you go all the way to the top. And this view up there is just spectacular, just amazing. And then we went to, here's the next one. And this is uh, Air Jordan, my son Jordan, jumping off a cliff. And this is in the Arches National Park. And so we did that hike. And so we also did that one. And so over and over again, we would find some kind of mountain and we would continue to climb. And so what's very interesting is small potatoes. That's all small potatoes, some of these hiking, to this guy. And this guy's name is Alex. Um, uh, and so Alex is a, a world-class mountain climber. His um, Alex Honnard. And um, he is the greatest mountain climber in the world. Matter of fact, um, they did a documentary back a couple of years ago about, um, about him climbing El Capitan. Matter of fact, let me show you this quick little video so you can just get a picture about this is what it's like to be a mountain climber at his level. Here you go. On a scale one to 10, that's an 86, right? He's the only person, you can look it up, that scaled El Capitan in Yosemite National Park without a rope. Without a rope. The only person in the world. He is the best mountain climber in the world. And the name of that documentary, if you know, picked up on it, it was called Free Solo. And so um, I thought that was an interesting kind of title because then I started thinking about that as I watched that documentary a couple of years ago, it just was riveting. It's just amazing how someone could do that without a rope. Matter of fact, it only took him three hours and 56 minutes. Yeah. And so um, uh, when I started thinking about that, that theme about free, so I started reflecting upon it from a theological standpoint because then you think about Jesus and Jesus had his own free solo, right? I mean, he, he told his disciples and made it very clear from the very get-go that he was going to take his own hike up towards the top of a hill. So, see, Jesus' hill wasn't called El Capitan. It was called El Calvary. And, and so when you think about what Jesus did, he did his own free so. He, he was the only person in all the world to do what he was set out to do. Alex is the only person in the world that could do what he did. But when it comes to climbing the hill of Calvary, Jesus Christ and our theology and what, we're, what we believe and what we profess and the uh, Apostles' Creed week in and week out, the reason why we come to worship him because we realize that Jesus Christ went top of the hill and he died, crucified, dead, buried, rose on the third day. And he did it solo to set us free. Free solo. You know, I think it was really interesting. If you go and um, look at the conversation that Jesus had with the disciples um, there in the 26th chapter of Matthew. He's in the upper room, right? And so in the midst of that conversation, uh, Jesus lays it all out and says, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna die. 
He's already told them, but he reminds them. It's all coming down. I mean, it's all, I mean, it's all coming down. It's the pressure, the building. And, and so in the midst of all that, Peter, um, Peter has the audacity, and he speaks up, and he says, well, you know, um, I, 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 we're going to die with you. Matter of fact, I, I think the, the exact quote, Peter declared, even if I have to die with you, I will never disown you. And don't miss the detail. And all the other disciples said the same. Uh, Matthew, the 26th chapter. So what's very interesting, of course, Jesus turns to Peter and says, Peter, peace. It's P-P-P, right? Before the end of the night, before the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times, right? Now, what I think is really interesting, because I never miss this detail, because once again, Jesus was, he shared with them, this was a free solo hike, or a free solite trek up to the top of Calvary, right? This is, this is his journey to be able to set us free, to set the world free because he's gonna die, crucify, not just any kind of death, I mean the worst kind of death, right? And so what's very interesting is that the word, and all the other disciples said the same thing. So I, I thought it was really interesting because when it all came down to it, the all, well, went a wall. Do you get that? The all were all AWOL. So we find the gospel of Matthew. Okay, and so what's very powerful is so we've we got that mountain, that, that hilltop experience that Jesus has got to go up to the top of the hill of Calvary for a purpose, uh, to die, the worst kind of death. You know, it's interesting when you're on a trail with your kids, you have interesting conversations. So somehow we got on the whole topic about a TV evangelist. And, and so my, my kids are, you know, they're younger, they're, they're watching, just like a lot of other younger, and, and they said that they had seen some of the stuff that they've seen on TV, and, and, and then they see how some people, um, some of their theology, and how they, um, um, how they articulate that, and and I made it very clear as we talked about this, because um, some of it, when you watch TV, there's that what I call, and I've shared this with you before, about prosperity gospel. And so prosperity gospel is if you do, are good and you do good and you give good, then somehow God, all this good is just going to come back. But you know what the reality is, is that, and um, some people call that cotton candy gospel or cotton candy theology. And so I reminded my kids on the trail that Jesus climbed a hill and he died not just any kind of death, but he died the worst kind of death you could ever imagine. And there's nothing cotton candy about that. There isn't. It's powerful. It's riveting. That's what we call trail talk. So, so then um, what's very interesting about the story, so Jesus in the 26th chapter has this conversation with Peter and so then, you know, they all are saying, oh, you know, we're going we're gonna to be right there with you, Jesus, not. Um, and so then we find what I think is really powerful is that um, in the 16th chapter of Matthew, so let's go back a year or two, Jesus has a conversation before he obviously gets to the upper room. This is a year or two before he's laying out what's going to happen. Um, he, he has this conversation and he takes his disciples all the way up to the top 
of where now modern day Israel is. And he goes to Caesarea Philippi. I love going to Caesarea Philippi. As a matter of fact, it's the first stop when I go to the Holy Land. I take our people almost every single year. What I love about Caesarea Philippi is because Jesus had this conversation with Peter and the disciples. Who do you say that I am? Well, some say that you're Elijah, some think you're John the Baptist, but who do you say them? And then Peter typed up, you're the Christ, you're the son of the living God. And then Jesus says, Peter, upon you, the rock, I'm going to build my church. My church, Jesus said. And by the way, remind us, it's Jesus' church. Amen on that. It's not my church, it's not your church, it's Jesus' church. We are here to serve and love him. Okay, so then, so I love this, right? You ready? Hold on. So Jesus tells Peter that he's the rock, Fast forward five verses. Go and look for yourself. Five verses. From that point on, then Jesus began to teach and talk about what he was going to happen. About that conversation, fast forward a couple years later, where he's going to talk about what's going to happen in the upper room. So this is a couple years before. Lays it all out, and he says, I'm going to be crucified. I'm going to die. And then Peter has the audacity and says, God forbid, that's never going to happen. And then Jesus comes back with a zinger. You ready? Pete, you don't know what you're talking about. You have become a stumbling block to me. Five verses. Only Peter could pull that off. He goes from a block to a stumbling block. Did you get that? Five verses. He goes from a block to a stumbling block. So that's what I think about, I mean, that's a kind of interesting way of thinking about life, isn't it? Do you want to, I love this, you ready? I just made this up. Do you want to be a block or do you want to be a rock or do you want to be a stumbling block? I mean, do we want to, do we really want to live into this vision to be Christ, to be his hands and his feet and voice? And there are times in which, let me tell you something, there have been times in which I think maybe I have been a rock and there are 10 times in my life that I have been a stumbling block in my life. I, I think that's really kind of, really kind of the snapshot of, who we all are, as Paul describes, he said, I do the things I don't really want to do and the things I don't really want to do, I end up doing. Oh, what a wretched man I am. That's my favorite. I think it's my favorite piece of scripture in the whole Bible because it defines me. It defines you. It defines the world. And so what, I love the old, oh man, I just, there is something about my tradition, because you know, I was born in 1963, and, and so um, we would, uh, we worked out of the old hymnal, and my father would get up, and he would preach his sermon, and we'd have a holy communion, we'd go through all the liturgy, and I, there's that, that part of that old traditional Methodist liturgy when it came about, we confess our sins how we sin against you, Lord Jesus, by our thoughts and our words and our deeds against thy divine majesty. For some reason, that has stuck with me my whole life. So there have been times in which that I have completely blown it and I have not been the rock that Christ has called me to be, that I have fallen short on that thoughts, words, and deeds and I have become the stumbling block. There is a difference between being a rock and a stumbling block. Five verses. And so, what, so what's very interesting, okay, so let's just keep rolling the story. So Jesus tells Peter that he's going to be the rock. Then Jesus tells Peter that he's a stumbling block. Six days later, six days later, you know what Jesus does? He says, hey, Pete, James, John, we're going on a hike. So they go to the top of the mountain. It's called the Mountain of Transfiguration. 
Now, let me tell you something. Let's stop right there. If I would have been Jesus, just me, if I would have been Jesus, I would have probably said to Peter, you know what, Pete? I'm not taking you. I'm taking Andrew. Andrew, get off the bench. Come on. Uh, your brother doesn't understand the game plan, right? He's not getting it. Uh, Pete, you go down there. You go all the way down to the end of the bench. You go sit down there in the valley. Uh, I'm going to take Andrew with me. Andrew, you're in. No, no. Uh, Jesus, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus, uh, it's amazing to me that even though that Peter's, well, he was the rock and then becomes a stumbling block, Jesus says, Peter, you're, I'm taking you with me. We're going to the mountain. Let's go for a hike. So he takes Peter and James and John and they get up to the top of the mountain, which is the story I just read. It's a great story. And what's very interesting, all of a sudden, as you've just heard me read, once they get up there, that, well, a couple of people show up. They got a special, couple of special guests. One's name is Moses. One's name is Elijah. So you got Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. And what's very interesting about this part of the story is that uh, Peter says to Jesus, uh, Lord, do you want me to make a, you know, a couple of like tents? I'm going to make three. Uh, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now, what's that about? I mean, why, why is that thrown in the story? G Peter's saying, um, do you want me to make these tents? Well, okay, well, let's just go back to the rest of the story because there is a part of the story which is, where else do we know about the Feast of Booths? Well, it has everything to do with the Feast of Booths. The part of the Israeli tra or Jewish tradition is that they would celebrate a feast every single year that connected Moses leading the children of Israel out of bondage and they wander around the desert for how long? 40 years. Okay. Guess what they had to do? Pitch a tent. Over and over again, they kept pitching a tent, pitch a tent, pitch a tent. And so fast forward for years and years and years, they would celebrate the redemption of Israel and how they wandered around the desert and there was called the Feast of Booze. And then they, then they would go and they would celebrate that at the temple each year. And at the temple each year, when they would celebrate, a couple of things would happen. So uh, they would go down and there would be someone, maybe a, a priest or someone would go down to pools of Siloam and they would gather up the water from that pool and they would go and bring the water up to the temple mount and they pour these, this water into this, this big silver bowl as a ceremony of reminding that of the, the water of life that comes from, from Almighty God. And it was a big deal. So you could have water to be able to survive in the desert. Okay, and then the second part of it was was that they um, would also have light, and so they would, and the, and the symbol of the light had to do with um, the, the the descension of the Holy Spirit upon the people, and they would bring the torches, and they would light up, and the the coming of the Messiah, and so there was something about being the light of the world, and so it was all connected with the feast of booths. So all that's going on. But the water and the light. And so Jesus one day, you look up at the Gospel of John, guess what happens? Jesus shows up at this particular festival. And this is what he has to say 
as he's at the festival. And what's the festival? The festival booths. What is Peter talking about? Uh, well, let's make a couple of, well, let's make a couple of tents. One for you, Lord, one for Elijah, and one for Moses. Jesus has the audacity and boldness to say this. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. Jesus had the boldness to say that. They all connected to his Messiahship. Okay, well, there's more. The next day, as the lights are burning out on the last, the, the, the festival is finally over, but the, the light is still shimmering from the bowls. Jesus says this, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you get it? So this story that we find on the mountain of transfiguration is a throwback to the festival of booths that God continued to provide water for their crops, to provide water for life. You can't live without water. And also the connection of the light is connected to the Messiahship, the coming of the Christ, of the Messiah. And Jesus lays it all out. And there's a connection between Jesus and his Messiahship and that festival. And it goes all the way back up to the top of the mountain. Lord, can I make a booth for you? Let me make a tent for you, for Moses, for Elijah. You know what's interesting about Jesus is that um, um, Jesus would say over and over, you have heard Moses say this, or you've heard the, of all the prophets of this, but then Jesus would say, but this is what I say. Jesus is always stepping in front of Moses. Jesus is a stepping in front of Elijah. In other words, Jesus is higher than Moses and Elijah. That's the point. He is the Christ, the Messiah. And so there's that part of the story. And what's very interesting about the story about the mountain of transfiguration is that um, I can imagine if I was Peter, James, and John, I would be in shell shock because Jesus has just told him that he was going to have to be crucified. He's going to die. This is in the 16th you know, chapter. And so this is, um, this, you know, this is what I would be shell shocked. And so maybe what Jesus is doing is that He's trying to make sure that they understand in their certainty within a shadow doubt of who he really is. Hence the reason why when we get this description of the mountain transfiguration, that there's this countenance. I mean, all of a sudden, Jesus is transfigured. He's lit, I mean, he, he, he's lit up. It's, he's illuminated. This is just amazing. They never seen anything like it. And the reason why we have this sense of glory connected to the story is because it's because they, they, the, the reality is that they wanted to be able to make sure that in this story that people saw the divinity of Jesus Christ. So you got the humanity, well, they could see that. I always said, wait a minute, oh, 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 Jesus is transfigured. We can see his glory, which is a whole nother level. To bring certainty to disciples, to bring certainty to the world that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Savior. So when I, I think about this, it really is very, very powerful when you, this, this idea, and, and listen, let me tell you something. Don't you think for, don't doubt for a second that Peter and John didn't, this didn't make a lifelong impression on them because we find in the scriptures, this is what John says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. 
Right out of the bat. Where does that come from? Mountain tra transfiguration. Peter said this. Peter also wrote, he says, we did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty for we received honor and glory from the God, the father. And when the voice came from him, from the majestic glory saying, this is my son who I'm love and with him I'm well pleased. We ourselves heard the voice that came from heaven. And when we were when, when we were with him on the sacred mountain, Peter, don't you dare think for a second that this did not have a profound impact on Peter and John's life. And it plays out in the gospel. Wow. Points to the identity of Jesus Christ and the certainty of who he really is, was, and continues to be. Certainty. Certainty. And there's the same things in life is that, you know, there's different facets of life. I mean, there, I, what I love about, you know, I like certainty. I, I like order. I mean, when I get out of order, it just freaks me out, right? I, I, to get dis out of, uh, discombobulated, get out of, I like order. I love structure, right? Okay, so, so there, but there is a part of life, there, there's a mystery to it. There is uncertainty to life, you know? There's uncertainty. I mean, well, I, 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 there's this part of the ebb and flow of life. We just don't, know it all. We, we, we don't have it all figured out. Okay. And so what I think about, what I love about the story is it brings certainty who Jesus is. So here's, here's a little couple of stories and I'll wrap this up about certainty. So I, I think about my, like my friend, Shelly Otis, uh, God bless her. She was at my other church. Um, she had, I think she had four little boys. She got the cancer, the worst kind of cancer. She had brain cancer. And, um, and so she, um, the doctors were certain she was going to die within two months. I remember that. I remember going to the family, talking to them. Certain. They were within, um, but she didn't, she, she didn't live two months. She, she lived years. Uh, but they were certain she was going to die. She, they told her she would never see her kids graduate, but they, she did. Now, so eventually she did die. But the, but the, the, the doctors said it was certain. But there is an uncertainty in life. I, I think about my friend Doug. I had a conversation with Doug a couple weeks ago. Doug is my longest friend. I met him when I was five years old, uh, 54 years ago. Um, and so we had this sweet little conversation. His, he's a widow now. His wife just died. He's only 58. And so he told me this quick little story. He said, you know, Harold, I knew my wife was dying. The doctors would tell me she was going to die. And they said, you know, she's not going to live through the night. So then he says, you know, Harold, I, I went to Tammy. And he says, sweetie, you're going to go see Jesus tonight. And she says, I am. And then she says, but I feel so good. And then her Vital signs began decreasing. But what's interesting, in the middle of that conversation, he said to her, you're going to go see Jesus tonight. This is what he told, and I never had thought about this. I, I think it was brilliant. I think this is brilliant. He says, now, Timmy, I want you to know something. You're going to get there before me. So once you get to the gates, you know, someday I'm going to be there. And once I get to the pearly gates, 
I'm going to turn right, and that's our designated spot to rendezvous. I love that. That, that, that they already worked out exactly where they're going to meet in heaven. That's what I call certainty. How certain are you? So my run this morning, this is what my last little thought. I have this little friend. His name is Don Piper. You ever heard of him? He wrote a book, sold 7 million copies. I went back and read, reread part of the chapter about his experience in heaven. I don't know. You got to, don't miss the detail. You ready? Once he gets to heaven, he said he never saw Jesus. But he gets to the pearly gates and he sees all the people who helped him get to heaven. And they were there to greet him. And he says there's this rush of light. And he describes that the music, he said the music is amazing. He spends a whole chapter talking about the light. And he spends a whole chapter talking about the music. But in the midst of that, this is what he said. Don't miss the detail. He says, I felt like I was being drawn up towards a hill. And the top of the hill is Jesus Christ. Do you realize we're all going to have to take, we're going to make one final hike. And the final hike is going to be in heaven. As we make our way up towards this hill. And someday we will all meet Jesus Christ. But we climb the hill. Okay, you ready? The view has got to be spectacular. 